is Market Open Podcast, bringing you engaging conversations and insights from leading ASX-listed companies. We welcome our host, Stuart Walters, for another episode, where he'll talk to the individuals behind Australia's top companies of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of Market Open Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Liz Dallimore, CEO and Managing Director of Agenica Therapeutics, ASX code AGN. Liz is a dedicated neuroscientist who is working hard to find a solution for brain damage caused by stroke and other neurological conditions. Her company, Agenica Therapeutics, has been conducting preliminary research on a novel therapy, ARG007, that has received positive feedback from the US Food and Drug Administration. The therapy has the potential to decrease brain damage caused by stroke and other neurological disorders. Agenica has received ethics approval to conduct its pivotal phase two clinical trial of ARGE007 in acute ischemic stroke patients. This is a significant step for Agenica because it means the company can dose patients in trial hospitals across the country to test the therapy's efficiency and determine its potential impact on patients' health. Agenica achieved another significant milestone in its efforts to commercialize the ARGE007 therapy with the Food and Drug Administration granting the company orphan drug designation for treating hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. Thanks for joining me today on Market Open Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Firstly, what does receiving orphan designation mean for Agenica? So orphan drug designation, I guess just for listeners that don't really know what it is, it is a designation given by the FDA. So you do need to apply and in that application, you have to justify why you believe that the condition that you're applying for is an orphan designation. And so this has a, um, it's actually defined. So the prevalence is less than 200,000 people in the US that suffer that condition. So for hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, which is the condition that we applied for, which is a reduction in blood flow um, and oxygen to the infant during child to an infant during childbirth, uh, we gathered data to to look at that prevalence, um, and then we had to really present a compelling case around our preclinical data. So this is probably one of the the hardest hurdles to overcome with orphan drug designation. You have to have a really compelling case to show that your drug has the potential to be a life-saving therapeutic in these rare diseases. So uh, to be able to tick off on that and get the FDA to say, yes, we agree that HIE is a rare condition and also that ARG007 does show fantastic potential as a therapy in this rare condition is a big tick. So for us as a company, that was um, that's a really good thing. In terms of then the benefits that it brings to the company, so for us at the stage that we're at at the moment, the the biggest benefit is being able to have regular access to the FDA and to their regulatory experts. So it almost opens up a door to be able to go to them and say, look, can you help us design a clinical trial in HIE? Designing clinical trials in rare conditions can be really challenging. Often there hasn't been clinical trials that have been undertaken in these conditions. And so you have to work really closely with the FDA to work out, well, what is the thing that's going to show that this, this drug is efficacious? So having that ongoing access is going to be really critical for the company. So that's a big tick. It also allows you to access tax credits um, in relation to your clinical trial spend, as well as grants for your clinical trial. 
from a commercial point of view, it does give a seven-year market exclusivity. So what this means is that once the drug is approved, you have a seven-year time frame in which no generic drug can sort of copy your drug and come into the market. So this is really important where drugs are sort of coming off patent. Our drug has a patent life out to 2034. Um, so it could potentially be a really, really critical aspect of the ODD for any partner that we partner with to commercialise this drug. So all of that um, is is absolutely fantastic for the company. So the validation of our, our preclinical data, knowing that it's an orphan condition and having that access to the FDA as well as some additional funding is, is going to be fantastic. There is obviously a lot of science behind what you do. Does it make you nervous if partnerships don't come off or if this doesn't work? Yeah, well, absolutely. It's, um, you know, we're still in the, the R&D phase. I guess what we do as a company is we put a huge amount of weight to the science and we try to de-risk this drug asset as much as possible, as early as possible. So uh, as I mentioned, we've got really good preclinical data in animal models of HIE. We're expanding that now into larger animal model studies, again, that are more akin to the human condition, again, as a way, a strategy to de-risk the the drug, essentially, before the, we then take it into humans. So that is, a, I guess, a big mantra of the company. We do as much as we possibly can upfront to de-risk this drug asset before we take it into clinical trials. Can you give me a bit of background about yourself? And is this something that you've always wanted to do? I always loved science. So I did, you know, in high school, I did physics, chemistry, human biology, maths, loved it all, was always that way inclined. Um, and I did a undergraduate science degree and, and gravitated. I, I sort of shifted in second year to a major in neuroscience. I was, I was absolutely fascinated by neuroscience. And uh, one of the things that I always tell people as to why it fascinated me so much was because the brain is pretty much the only organ in the body where you look at the anatomy and you can't really tell how it functions. So most other organs, the heart, the kidney, you look at it and you can you you know how it's going to function, whereas the brain, it's a bit of a black box. So that really intrigued me. So I did a, an undergrad in neuroscience and then I did uh, my honours degree and that was looking at essentially neuroplasticity, so the ability for the brain to train to sort of change itself. Um, and then I moved, after my honours, I moved into stroke research. So I actually did a bit of work with Bruno Maloney, Professor Bruno Maloney, who's now our Chief Scientific Officer. Um, and then started, did a PhD as well. So always loved the science and I think probably always liked being at uni. <laughs> so I stayed there so long. But I did move into more of the business world. So I went into management consulting after my PhD. Um, never really thought that a company like Hygienica could exist in Perth. Um, and it seems like really the, the perfect kind of company for me. So bringing together my business background and my neuroscience background. Uh, and I'm absolutely loving it. I just think, you know, the work that Bruno's done predating the formation of the company at the Parent Institute and the University of Western Australia is phenomenal. I have been following it closely. I was on the board of the Parent Institute um, and yeah, looking at all the data and all the science behind it was the thing, the really compelling thing for me to jump on board and, and give it a shot at taking it all the way. 
you can hear it in your voice how much you love working in this space and making a genuine impact in people's lives. You must be pretty happy with how the trials are going. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, we've we've done the phase one trial, so and that is a massive hurdle. Showing that the drug is actually safe to administer in humans is a, a big milestone. Um, it is one of the, from a regulatory point of view and getting a drug approved, especially in the neuroscience space, safety is, is absolutely critical and the biggest hurdle. Uh, we are about to embark on our phase two clinical trial and it's been hugely positive, the reception that we've had around the hospitals, the neurology departments around Australia. Most of the neurologists already know about this drug. It's, you know, the only sort of neuroprotective drug in Australian neuroprotective drug in the clinic. So everyone is really, really excited to get started on the trial, which is fantastic. The ARGE 007 was initially developed to reduce brain tissue death after a stroke. But is it fair to say that it has shown a much wider promise since then? The way Bruno first discovered the drug was in an uh, exocytoxicity model, it's called. So it's just showing toxicity to brain cells in a petri dish, essentially. That mechanism happens in a lot of neurological conditions. So what happens is you get... Um, increased glutamate which um, is a neurotransmitter in the brain and it causes calcium to to start rushing into brain cells which starts triggering this brain cell death brain injury so that process you actually see that in stroke you see it in uh, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy you see it in alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases so uh, that was sort of the first inkling that, you know, this drug could have real impact across a number of neurological conditions. But in the sort of 10 years that Bruno's been working on the drug, we're discovering more and more sort of just how uh, wide ranging, I guess, the mechanism of action of this drug is. So recent data that we've generated in uh, preclinical models of Alzheimer's disease shows that the drug can actually also reduce aggregation of a couple of these proteins that are implicated in the progression of Alzheimer's disease. So we've looked at beta amyloid and we've looked at tau. So they're the two main proteins that start to aggregate in Alzheimer's disease. And we've shown that our drug has actually um, has the ability to reduce that aggregation uh, in neurons. So that's really exciting. And that's a, obviously a massive area and a massive market. But, you know, I've been kind of trawling through all the scientific literature to find, is there another drug out there that's able to work on both of these proteins? All the drugs in the clinic at the moment only work on one or the other. So to be able to work on both of these proteins is something really exciting and we think we might be onto, onto something here. So really keen to progress uh, the work in Alzheimer's disease as well. So what are the plans after phase two? Really what we're looking to do is find a partner for phase three um, and continue to progress the other indications. So HIE now with this orphan drug designation, we're going to really start looking at what additional studies we need to undertake to give the FDA comfort to allow us to start undertaking clinical trials in that area um, and continue to progress the preclinical work in Alzheimer's disease and traumatic brain injury. Uh, if the phase two is positive um, and really the, I guess, the ability to allow us to move into a phase three clinical trial for stroke is showing that the drug is safe in stroke patients. 
Uh, we obviously want to, we've designed the trial to hopefully see efficacy as well. Um, and the idea over the next, I guess, sort of 18 months as the trial's progressing is to find a partner that we can work with to undertake a phase three clinical trial. The phase three clinical trial is the last part in the piece um, before approval. And is the hunt for a phase three partner underway? It is, yes, yes. So it can take some time for these companies to do their due diligence on uh, all the data that that we have gathered over the decade that Bruno's been working on the drug. So yeah, we're continuing to progress discussions with uh, a number of key potential partners. Um, Obviously, they're all sort of very uh, intrigued for the phase two data. So a lot of them, you know, they can do they can do DD now uh, on the preclinical work, our phase one clinical trial. But a lot of them, you know, are really keen to see that phase two data, which is understandable. But the conversations continue to progress, and we're going to do a really concerted push in the next eighteen months to um to get some sort of deal done, ideally. You were in a couple of weeks ago and there was a clear frustration about market conditions. I'm not saying you were down in the dumps, but are you sensing a shift? Yeah, definitely. I think we're sort of feeling it coming into Christmas. Um, obviously, interest rates being on hold in the US, you know, other things like that, that that do have an impact on the Australian market seem to be going our way. Uh, and I think, you know, for, for us, we, we've put out a couple of good... Um, news items, a couple of things that show that we're, that we're really progressing the Alzheimer's and the HIE indications, which is really important as we're going into a relatively long phase two clinical trial being sort of 18 months, two years, but the sentiment does seem to be changing. So fingers crossed it's bottomed out, Stu, and that we're on the way up. I love this story. I think you're doing a fantastic job at Agenica and wish you and your team all the very best for what is to come. Liz? Thank you for joining me today on Market Open Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. That concludes another episode of Market Open Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, Twitter, rss.com and marketopen.com.au. Until next time, happy investing. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of this material as legal tax, investment, financial, or other professional advice. Market Open and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent, legal, financial taxation, or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by Market Open or any third party to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments in this or any jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the security laws of such jurisdiction.